Welcome. Thank you for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. We are broadcasting from our respective homes. This is your host, Bob Waltenspiel, hanging out with producer Randy Walker. Find us online, itinthed.com. And do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. Happy Fourth of July to everybody. Hopefully, everybody still has their fingers. Hearts go out to the family of uh, the goaltender from Columbus that got killed in Novi from the fireworks. That just you know, you come home from having a great weekend, and all of a sudden you hear about that, and it just brings you back to reality that Jesus, you know, someone could have uh, died at my party um, that I was at. Um, shout out to Brad Mitchell from Mojo Host for being the most gracious host on Fourth of July, setting off like forty-five minutes straight of fireworks. We could have. Bought a small BMW for what he lit in the air, but you know we're we're gracious and thankful and uh, great spread and appreciate the hospitality. Um, third Thursday this month, put it on your calendars. We're going to be at Nancy Whiskey. That's in two weeks, so the eighth, the fifteenth, uh, we will be there at five o'clock to eight o'clock. Uh, bring business cards or don't nothing but IT people talking shop, networking, having a good time. Uh, we'll be on the patio. Uh, last time it was a great crowd, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Guest this week, AJ Kruftik from Expedient. He is all things. He knows everything about comics, everything about pop culture and TV, mm-hmm. everything about technology and cloud. That's true. Knows nothing of Marvel movies. That's correct. That is it's 100% correct. Zero Marvel None. movies. Not seen any of them, no. So How? All right, I'm going to take you back to like, uh, when was this? Probably 2001, 2002, whenever the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie came out. Okay. And I watched that movie and it made me so mad because I was a, I've been a deep comic books fan. I'm an sure. X-Men fan. I, I have comic books. I used to collect comic book cards as a small child to teenager. I love comic book movies. And then I watched what they did to Spider-Man because this is like the first real use of CGI like that you could really do it. It would look cool. It wouldn't look like clunky. And it wasn't like the Hulk movies from the 80s with, um, was it Mark? Rigno. Lu- no, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was like, this is an absurd suit that you have on. Like this is a like real honest to God way to do it. And that movie was so bad that I'm like, I'm never giving Marvel another dollar. No, 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 no. Now, that one though, that no. one wasn't that bad. I, I could see like the was, Andrew Garfield ones were hot garbage. No, um, this was the Toby Maguire ones made me mad. But before you get on your, before you email Bob, before you email <laughs> Randy, all right, I just need you to know this right now. At, when this movie came out, no one cared about who owned the rights to what movie or nope. what studio was doing what. None of this existed. Nope. All right. Nobody. This was a bad movie and I moved on. All right. Then the uh, Captain America, Iron Man, all the Avengers movies come out. Let's go back. Every- the Hulk movies when they did the when the Oops, the Hulk movies they- were bad too. Yeah, when they did Eric Bana, then they did the Edward Norton Jr. Then they just right. forgot about it like three or four years later. They like, just wait, went what? Nope. Nope. And then they came out and they said, "All right, Captain America is Chris Evans." And I went, "Hold on, time out. No, 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 no." Chris Evans played the Human Torch. You can't be crossing streams like that. Randy? Get out of here, Marvel! Oh my God! Eight, no, honestly, one of us, one of us. That's all I'm thinking right now because I've been screaming about that, and like the whole Ryan Reynolds is all the things. And, and right. why do you have to cast uh, Michael Keaton as a? Uh, I keep forgetting a stupid Vulture. Vulture. I keep calling it, call him Falcon. 
Like, why? Why can't you? No one else. So it made me mad that they couldn't even get the even basic level of continuity right. That I was like, no, I'm not watching the Captain America movie. And then, like four or five movies into the MCU, everybody's like, these are the greatest movies of all time. And I'm like, I don't have time to go watch 15 hours worth of film. I just don't. Uh, so yeah, then Dave, I was. Didn't Dave go back and have to watch all of them in the order of like right before Endgame? Yeah. Um, speaking of which, oh, I completely forgot. We got to do we got to do a toast to the one and only Dave the Geek Phillips. Um, got some Baron Jaeger right by the couch. Uh, whatever you're drinking, if you got water, uh, doesn't matter. Beer. You already got some Diet Mountain Dew. Cheers, uh, David Geek Phillips. We miss you, bud. Cheers. Close to you. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, Dave had to go back and watch all of them in the order of through so he could get caught up to Endgame. Like, and so you didn't want to. No. I, I, I heard, uh, the, then the other problem was is that I actually read all of the various, like, secret wars and infinity gauntlet things and i'm like all right one i already know the story here and two i'm just not going to go back and watch them all i'm just not that that's too much time and i just never decided to go do it and then by the time it was over i saw all the memes i saw like listen the internet i don't want to say the internet spoiled anything because i spoiled for myself you have every opportunity to not do that um, but yeah, no, that I just never went back and watched them and I'm probably not going to. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. It's interesting to me. I, I keep saying gutter saved star Wars. Um, but John Favreau saved Marvel. Marvel is going out of business. And when Iron Man came out, like brought that company out of doldrums. And it's funny now how he's got, he's saved star Wars with Mandalorian, brought it back from those three awful movies, the, the sequels. And now he's, they give, they're giving him the keys now. Um, last week we talked about it. There, they might wipe those clean from canon and redo them. A hundred percent. Listen, number one, let's talk. Let's talk about the the two sides of this. One, you can wipe them from canon, and they could just be this like weird alternate universe because it's made up story. Who cares? But two, two, think about how much money you could make on. We're going to do it right, and you just turn that into yet another billion dollar movie or whatever. After or what you. You use those as the linchpins for like a Disney Plus release, right? I mean, after what Zack Snyder did to Justice League and saved that movie from a hot pile of uh, steaming dung, um, I mean, people are like, "Okay, go do, let me see it." Yeah, yeah. Everybody's listen. Everybody's willing to give you a second chance or a third chance. Again, let's go back to the Hulk movies where you had multiple different actors play the Incredible Hulk. You could do it, right? It's just a matter of whether or not you want to. And that was the thing with. Um, Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. That was I was reading Patrick's. Yeah, he goes. He has no interest in watching anything DC after the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, but like, I think like Snyder did it right. Like, if you have you sat, I sat through all four hours and fifteen minutes, whatever the hell it was, and I'm like, I'm like, give me more. It's so good. I just let the internet make fun of it and just say it was shot in four three. This, by the way, this podcast is uh, three hosts the way that it was intended to be. Absolutely. So- have to always <laughs> just let it be just let it be silly it's fine it's comic books it's pop culture it's silly just let things be silly and it's okay sure um speaking of silly i mean your hot take that you dropped on before the show isn't mm-hmm. isn't really a hot take but it's it's no. I, i've heard people complaining about it all the time um yes which is because you're a big batman uh fan i take i heard i'm not and it hurts me as someone from pittsburgh it hurts me to say this because michael keaton Still the best Batman. Batman's the worst superhero. 
just at, by and large, Batman superpowers, I'm rich and I want to beat up poor people on the streets. That's it. That's what Batman wants to do. And as long as you just read it through that lens, you just understand that Batman's not great. And for everybody who's saying right now, again, in your email saying, well, Iron Man's the same thing. Yes, Tony Stark also uh, also a terrible person. They kind of put, they, but the, here's the thing. Marvel plays that up. Marvel plays up that Tony Stark is not a good dude. Stark and owns Marvel's, it, yeah. Right. Stark owns the fact that he's not great. Um, in fact, the entire World War Hulk is based on Tony Stark launching Hulk into space, right? So it's Tony Stark owns the fact that he is not a good person. Bruce Wayne still tries to play like I'm defending the streets of Gotham. And no, no, you're not. You're just rich, and just you're rich, and you want to beat up people. I don't. Get I it. never liked him because he. Why doesn't he help out like Chicago? Why does he just help Gotham? You know, why doesn't he go out in the suburbs? <laughs> Think about how much Batman, think about how much Bruce Wayne could do if he just like invested the money into the just general forces of Gotham right. City. Instead of just, I'm going to, you know, a new Batmobile or weird thing yeah. for the utility belt. Right. He, but listen, we also have to go back to good Batman, which is Adam West Batman, because it played into how silly Batman is, right? I, like, if you just stay with silly Batman of like, he's got like the, the, um, What's the what's the like plot point? The MacGuffin? I think it's the no, it's not a MacGuffin, but basically it's like the ultimate nullifier in, in Fantastic Four. It's like, oh yeah, here's this like random thing that Reed Richards invented to defeat Galactus, right? It just was always like in the Batman TV show. There was always like the the Batarama five thousand that instantly defeated the Riddler or whatever. And as long as he could press the Batarama five thousand, the Riddler would be defeated. Shark, or like, even the Bart can of shark spray. repellent. Yeah, yeah. The can of shark repellent, right? It's just. The that's the sort of thing, just like lean into it being silly. And the problem was, is that in the like late eighties, early nineties, they leaned into serious Batman and then they kept going with serious Batman. Let Batman be stupid. Let Batman be funny. When they cast Ben Affleck. I said the best thing they could have ever done was cast Matt Damon as Robin and do a campy Batman. Like with, the- yes, because they, they they did the cut and paste on the Photoshop with them two running with the with the light gray suit, and I'm like that would have been genius if they you know if you would have had listen, I'm not a huge Kevin Smith fan, but Kevin Smith directing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in a reboot of the 1960 Adam West Batman all day amazing, I, yeah I'm here for that I will watch that. Did you see that because he's redoing He Man? Is that the one that just came out on Netflix? Mm-hmm. It's coming out on Netflix. Yeah, it's Kevin Smith redoing He-Man. I didn't, I, I didn't see that. I saw the He-Man was coming back. I didn't realize Kevin Smith was behind it. I never watched He-Man as a kid, though. Oh, I loved I it. He, I raced I, home I, to watch that in G.I. Joe and Thundercats back to back to back. How old are you? I was, I'm 37. Okay. Oh, I got 10 years so, on you. That's why. I watched right, it. So I, I watched little. I watched G.I. Joe and I watched Transformers, but I never got into He-Man. I think He-Man was like was going away as I was starting to watch TV, but GI Joe and transformers were definitely still a thing. Speaking of, uh, someone just popped in. Uh, I haven't been yet. Randy, did you go to movies yet? The pop-up? No, not really um, I think it's $29 for like a cheeseburger and a, and a pop. Um, uh, it was just cheeseburger and fries. Drinks are extra drinks are for 29 bucks <laughs> and you got to stay in the line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check from Grubhub, man. That's, as somebody who stood in line for an hour and a half for Jenny's ice cream, uh, I get the concept of standing in line for things, but I also didn't pay at the end. 
it was free ice cream for the first right. day of summer. So shout out to Jenny's. You're delicious. Well, the whole Marvel um, conversation started because I guess you're a guest speaker. Um, what event was this again? So uh, if you're in the New York area uh, on Friday the 9th, hopefully this will be out by then. Uh, I'm speaking before <laughs> the Black Widow premiere, uh, which is very fun. And uh, we'll be doing some, we'll do a little talk. We have we rented out an entire theater for you know some customers. It's going to be a fun time. So that started with me saying Black Widow was the worst superhero ever. And you said, no, Hawkeye was. And then you're like, wait, wait, no, no, Batman was. <laughs> and then again, yeah, we can cool. we can backtrack it into a person who has no actual superpowers, just has a lot of guns or weapons. That, that was one of the worst yeah. things I ever said to another human being. Um, I used the Family Guy joke, and there was a girl in full cosplay at one of the Comic-Cons or Penguin-Con. I forget which one I was at. So I walked up to her just casually and said, so what's your superpower? Kicking. And she just kind of looked at me like I farted and walked away. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah, you're kind of a jerk for that one, man. You can't just walk up to somebody in public and go, your comic, your comic book person that you're trying to cosplay as is lame. You can't do that, Bob. Come on. I did, and I will again if I ever see <laughs> no one is safe no but um i want to talk about real quick the the worst movie i've ever seen then we're going to jump into casea real quick um i saw the worst movie i think in my life this weekend and it's a bold take and i can't think of a worse movie someone will call it call out something worse but the the tomorrow war with chris pratt on amazon prime hands down is the worst movie I think I've ever seen in my life. A friend of mine watched it and said, it is, if you're just willing to turn off your brain for two hours. No, it's just, I, it, but it wasn't. Can we even go like Michael Bay? Is, is it, a, is it like a Michael Bay things? And then, and then there's just, no. and that's it. It's just explosion. No. no, not even that. No. Cause I like Michael Bay, turn off your brain, blow up stuff. And this wasn't like Flash Gordon, pew, pew, save the earth. This was hot garbage, like on fire. Now, will this will this eventually loop around like Starship Troopers did? Because Starship Troopers, when I first watched it, seemed like a really dumb movie. And then later on, I became I, I came around to understand that Starship Troopers is actually incredible as long as you just don't try to like understand the plot line it was very clear to me when i watched it i was like this feels like there's a second episode so starship troopers was very uh, political commentary kind of like when you read animal farm and you don't realize it until you get a little bit older then you're like aha um that part yes yes edge of the world super um tomorrow war was worse so let me give you the basic concept um oh my god we had one person that loved it um so speaking of starship troopers the aliens like when they shot at them, died like the Starship Trooper bucks, which drove, which pissed me off. Then they look like the demigorgons from um, the under under whatever stupid six cent. What is that show on Netflix? The Stranger Things, and they oh, all right. had Doc Ock like things on their shoulders that shot little spikes. So you had those three things going, um, and they were aliens that were brought here and they crashed and it was frozen in the Russian Arctic and then global warming hit and thawed them. And an eight year old figured this out in, in Chris Pratt's science class or 12 year old, however old he was. Um, and that's how they went and found them. And they, then he told the Don Rumsfeld DOD guy that we're going to go to Russia and, 
and blow up these aliens because they're here right now. It's not in the future. And then he asks his dad, going, Dad, I need a plane. So he assembles this team of like 15 people and then fly a military prop jet to the Siberian Arctic with like military grade weaponry and blow up all the aliens in the Arctic. And then the war didn't have to happen because they were bringing, they were recruiting people from the past to fight in the future because the world was going to end. Which I don't really understand that premise, but whatever. That's but like the- you could go, but you could go back in time to get more people because all the people died somewhere between the past and tomorrow. That's the present. Because they, they had to recruit forty-year-olds because they were already dead. But they and all the people that came back were kids because they weren't born yet. <laughs> so they had these rules. What? Oh. <laughs> All right, no, you don't don't go any further, or else I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna pass out from trying to figure out this movie. I bitch about time travel all the time. I do it all the time with Loki. I'm you know like I don't like Loki. I like more uh, Back to the Future, less Bill and Ted, less Loki. You know, Butterfly Effect, all that. It makes sense to me. Yes. Um. This this none of this made like the way I saw it. It's kind of like Terminator. Like, why did you bother going back to 84? Why didn't you just go back to, like, the 1600s and just eradicate her whole entire family line? Why did you go where there's an era where people can fight back? Like, they didn't have guns in the 1600s. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think there's... This is where you're, like, writing the... Like, you're writing the movie. And if you had just written it, like, Terminator goes back to 1600s, destroys the family line of of Sarah Connor... The movie's over. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the end. And, and scene. So there's like, you have to put something in there to at least make it somewhat of, well, to actually have a story, right? Who does James Cameron sit there and go, you know, it'd be a great idea. Let's have young, uh, young, O'C- young uh, uh, Connor. Why can't I think of a stupid first name? John. Send back, send back your dad to bang your mom to make you John. Like, <laughs> that's what happened. Yes, it is. Like it, when you just say it like that, right? It's it's, it's when you true. just say when you just say, "Oh yeah, he went back in time." Why are you sending him back in time? He has to make me. Like, to... <laughs> what? Right. Got it. I I actually heard a uh, this is actually a science a science uh, time travel thing where like time travel is not just you just go back in time. Like where, all right, ready for this? Yeah, yeah. Follow along, follow along kids. Where we are right now is a different physical location than where we were an hour ago. Oh in, yeah, yeah. In the literal plane of space. I haven't moved off this chair in like three hours. So listen, I see you in the comments bringing in Vin Diesel. We need a Fast and the Furious Jurassic Park t- uh, crossover. Ooh. I will stand by that. Right, I want I want Vin Diesel in the Chevelle jumping a T Rex. That's all I want. Right, <laughs> they'll probably make but that still, happen next. That, no, the thing the thing that happens next in the Fast and Furious franchise is a musical. But if you were to take this, that's a thing. Go look it up. So if you were to take this, if you were to try and go back in time, like go back to this morning, you would end up in space. 
Oh, if you were in the same spot. Yeah, because the world, yeah, of course. Right, because the world is spinning and it's moving literally physically through space. So in order for you to actually do time travel, not only do you have to master the time continuum, you have to master the space continuum as well. There you go. So in the There's your science Marvel, War, they actually had a stronghold just like Starship Troopers. It was and they all came up over the walls just like like they they stole too much. It was it was it was bad. It was right. yeah, then the Marx is the rock uh spins the T-Rex around by his tail. Yes. <laughs> I'm here for it. Are you telling me that you would not want to watch a T-Rex try to chase down a Supra? Tell me I'm wrong. And then Chris what's Pratt the, what's the one little, uh, those little clear uh, um, medicine balls, but like oh, no, yeah, no, yeah. like here's, he's in there in like the little medicine ball rolling things. But then they like roll and they're like, all right, I'm gonna roll and then you're gonna roll and then on three we're gonna bounce off each other and then they roll and then they bounce and they hit in midair right as the T Rex is trying to clamp down, but they bounce off of each other and, and blast away from each other. You're not telling me you wouldn't watch this movie. This hey, is a great movie idea. We got a filmmaker lined up. Uh, no, we got a filmmaker lined up in like three episodes uh, who put out a, um, put out a movie. I think we're gonna tell him, tell him to do that movie. Yeah, yeah. actually, we know um, I know, and I know the guy that did Rotten Tail, which was the very first Easter horror movie, starring Corin Nemec from Parker Can't Lose, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. It just came out. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm still back on Easter horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like the fly. Imagine the fly, but his DNA got merged in with the rabbits, and he goes and kills people. Yep. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever hmm. see ice cream? That was Ice Cream Man, wasn't that with Michael Keaton? Ice Cream Man, where he was? Oh no, or was a snowman that killed people? No, Ice Cream Man was uh, Clint Howard. Um, the 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 Jack Frost was Michael Keaton. That he killed people. He was a snowman, and they just took, put a blowtorch to him and killed him. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, listen, can we just like leave kids' holidays movies alone and just not have to make Michael Keaton murder people with them? I don't know. I listen. I, I love Michael Keaton as a native as a Pittsburgher. I am required by law to. I believe it's in the city constitution. You are not allowed to slander Jeff Goldblum or Michael Keaton. Um. I just love. I also love that Jeff Goldblum has somehow gotten weirder as time has gone on. Love you, Jeff. The, um, do you remember the meme? It was one of the rigid before memes were even memes on the internet. It was uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum is watching you poop, and uh, it was actually it was like a website on like a free hosting site, um, and it was up forever. And yeah, I think if you Google it now, Randy, check out and see if it's still around. Why don't Google I remember it? Jeff Goldblum is watching I'm you doing poop? The- and it was so like him like over a windowsill. So people would print them out at work and put them on like the windowsills at work. Um, that was like the other one, like Ric Flair ate my balls. Um, there's a whole bunch of these just ridiculous. Like, is this the one of him? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a no, scene from the fly. Out. I remember it. No, I remember it. And it's just macro text on an image saying Jeff Goldblum is watching you poop with him looking with like a really intense stare. So every Ma- day listen, to- macro, like, macro text on an image memes pretty much sure. that's it you nailed yeah. it <laughs> good Started job internet 2002 on a geocities page every uh data center i've ever worked at that was printed off in the bathroom at somewhere shape or form and uh what was the one i saw i saw it was at a it was at a data center it had Z, uh underscore days since last Vel- velociraptor attack <laughs> and it always had zero nice. <laughs> that was my favorite as like it should one. 
So, I mean, we got to talk about tech stuff eventually, right? We, I, I want to sit and talk Star Wars. You know what? The one take I wanted to drop on you. Um, we, we haven't talked about it in like six, eight months. Have you ever seen the origin? Because you were like, everybody borrows off everyone. We're talking Starship Troopers. And do you ever see yeah. what Star Wars was borrowed off of the movie? Wasn't it off of... Um... No, that was Lord of the Rings. Never mind. Go ahead. I was going to go with a... like some sort of like Nordic reference, but then... No, that was no it, was a, it was a samurai movie. Um, I'm looking yes. it up right now. Yes, I do remember this now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all it brings up is the figures. God bless it. Uh, the samurai figures. But it was it was in the eyes of it wasn't in the eyes of the protagonist. It was in the eyes of uh, like two like far off characters. It was like the, like a goofball and like his sidekick, um, which was C3PO and uh, R2D2. So like the bad guys and the good guys that were kind of intermingling and intertwining while you were following the story of these two. And ironically, a little like bit of better bad, movie, but no, if you watch <laughs> it, it's black and white. It's not a horrible watch. They're in the middle of these two guys get stuck in the middle of a war. They were uh, go figure, you know, it, it's almost the same presence or same uh, idea. Right. Hang on a minute. Give me based on samurai movie. I'll give you the, cause it was on Amazon prime. Um, it, yeah. The Hidden Fortress, it's called. Okay. And it's a 1958 film by Akira Kurosawa. And, okay. That's um, a, that is an actual that name. The, <laughs> yeah, Randy put that in the Twitters. Um, but if you, you can find it um, online. I think it was on Amazon Prime last time I watched it. It's a little slow, but you'll totally catch the, the innuendo, like the last scene with the good guy and the, the bad guy samurai who's all in black and like the lightsaber battle. Um, there's scenes that are very reminiscent. You're going to go, Oh my God, that's totally star Wars. Um, but it all follows the two, the, like the trials and tribulations of these two goofballs, which means that in, in the, uh, based off of string here, uh, Harry Potter is based off of this samurai movie. Could be Harry Potter's Harry Potter's is, is a rip off of star Wars. Is it? Look, I never oh, watched yeah. Harry Potter. Main, main protagonist was orphaned. Raised by his uncle, uh, meets up with a meets up with a uh, a fiery female uh, supporting cast member. Mm-hmm. Harry yeah, Potter is a Star Wars. I'm gonna movie. get blasted for never watching uh, uh, Harry Potter or reading it. I I watched the first movie. Uh, shout out to my sister who loves Harry Potter deeply and is confused as to how I didn't watch any of the rest. And then I went, well, that's because all of the books came out and all of the movies came out when I was like 20. So, (laughs) right, it was it was it was not my age range. (laughs) That was a young adult novel. I was an actual adult. They're not the same. I was the only thing that's not the same. Anybody watching me? The worst part about Harry Potter is we had to go to Universal Studios take my daughters, and she had to have the eighty dollar wand that doesn't do anything, and so that was only you know. But see, Dad (laughs) will go to Star Wars Land and spend eighty dollars on cocktails at the cantina and won't give two shits. But I'm still bitter about the eighty dollar wand. You know, go you'll be it. bitter about the eighty dollar wand that doesn't do anything. But you'll go drop four hundred dollars on the per, on the on the wand on the Star Wars lightsaber that you get to build because you got to build it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They had the <laughs> they had a thing that just came out. It was the hallway from um, where Darth Vader came through the hallway. Yes, from, from Yavin Four, and like it's like fifty bucks, and then you got to get the Darth Vader from Rogue One like figure. So it was like an eighty-five dollar purchase, and it sat in my it sat in my Amazon cart for three days, and I finally deleted it. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. 
Nope. Yeah, I, 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 my, was it my cousin had like a bunch of the original Star Wars toys, and we used to play with them all the time. Yeah, the lightsaber. So the lightsaber on the original toy was literally like a a, a red post that yeah. went down into the arm of the figure. had like a little had like a little notch that you could like push up, and so the hand just had like a red like red line coming out of it. Shout out to Sir Alec Guinness for getting paid off of all of that. And still, yeah. he was the that was the most that was the he was the most famous person in that cast when in when the movie was cast by leaps and bounds. Was, and then when, dozen, I think he was right. And yeah. he signed on to um, the. I don't know if this is actually true or not, but the 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 thing was that his contract was based on the royalties from the toys instead of the actual like movies because he was he only in one. Both. I thought he got it from both. I mean, he might have taken. I think he might have taken a pay cut because he was only in the. No, he's in Return of the Jedi. Was he in Empire Strikes Back too? Like Force the Ghost. little like no, cameo? He in, no, he was Force Ghost in. Um, just his voice was in Empire, I think. I think, but just uh, he was Ghost in uh, Jedi. Yeah, it was a yeah. So then they basically he was like, I'm just getting paid off all these toys that are out there. Like he figured out the merchandising deal early. Good for him. So no, that was great for him. Um, but I want to get into we got to get into IT talks, the talk of the shop today, and talk. Uh, we actually were talking about it over the weekend during holiday, um, but this whole Kaseya thing, um, yes, like fifteen hundred businesses. It's going to be more after this thing shakes out. Um, but if you don't know what Kaseya is, it's basically what uh, MSPs uh, use to run their business. Um, thank God we don't run it; we run Automate and uh, ConnectWise. Um, but it's basically the, the the brains of every managed service provider that provides IT services for millions and millions of businesses all got whacked by ransomware. Uh, I would also like to point out here, uh, Expedient also not a Kaseya customer. So uh, we are also safe. So if you're an Expedient customer, you're listening to this, you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, Kaseya, this is, this is the latest in a stream of uh, supply chain attacks. Uh, Microsoft, this, the whole SolarWinds hack that happened, again, right. another product that a whole lot of MSPs were using. Um, that Microsoft actually came out and said that their like support tool chain got popped in the process. Uh, one of their support agents got hacked. So, yeah, there is a... This is the new wave of attacks. And the the challenge is that this creates a this creates problems around trust, right? Microsoft, right? How do you, (laughs) you can't, the problem is, and you can't just go, well, we're not using them anymore. Snip. How do you call your client tomorrow? You know? Right. It's not even how do you call your client tomorrow? It's, you can't just like snip Microsoft out of your organization. Good luck. Right. Right. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. Amazon would love uh, it if it could. Yeah. Uh, and here's uh, a sidebar on Amazon. There was, some, there was a rumor going around that they're trying to put together an enterprise app bundle of Box, yeah. Slack, and Sp- uh, Smartsheet. Yeah. And they're trying to go after Office 365. Good luck. Um, <clears throat> trust me. I've been in a bunch of organizations that have tried to figure out how to get away from Office 365. That's, it's difficult. That's cute. Outlook is the glue. If, you know, uh, Gmail never put out a decent enterprise email client. No. Um, uh, if no, you could put didn't. out a decent enterprise email client, you might have people because no, no one's married to Excel and Word and PowerPoint. 
They're married oh, to you're, Outlook. They, no, you're, they're married to Excel. Well, they're, they're married, married to .xls and .doc, right? They're no, they're married to Excel because they're married to their macros. They're married to Access databases because Access is still part of the Office 365 subscription. Unfortunately, they're married to those pieces. And if you're talking to a lot of organizations that are not big enough to you know, use, you know, bigger applications. They wrote this thing because this was because access was in their office subscription and they figured out how to make their like business critical app inside of access. It becomes a critical part of the business. Access becomes a mission critical application. Sorry, threw up in my mouth a little bit there, but it becomes <laughs> part of this scenario, right? Excels the same way. I think there's a lot of organizations though that have been able to move towards Google. Um, I'm not trying to completely sidebar away from the, the supply chain thing, but I think when you have vendors like Microsoft that get hacked and their support tools could potentially be compromised when you have organizations, um, like things like Kaseya and SolarWinds, things that the IT, that IT organizations rely on to do their jobs and MSPs rely on to support their customers. It's really, really hard to build trust, especially when there's things like, um, didn't I want to say Microsoft pushed out like a bad network driver, like a driver that was signed by Microsoft but had malware in it. Like that's the level of this attack. You're like, I don't, I don't know what to trust anymore. I have no idea what to trust. I don't know how to trust it. I, it's signed by Microsoft. Well, it's that's supposed why to be my source that, of trust, and now I lost it. That happened a long time ago. I'll never forget. And that's why no one ever on Patch Tuesday, you'd wait a week. Um, so you're like, I want to see if this thing stinks. Like that was for years that that was going on. I had I worked at, a, at an organization that did all test dev systems on Patch Tuesday. Patches came out, they immediately landed. Every new system that every new system that had not been moved into production got got patches on Patch Tuesday. Because we had like a 30-day patch window. You had to have everything in the environment patched within 30 days. It was sure. part of our regulations and stuff. And so in order to get the – we got the test systems patched as soon as possible, all automated, but patched as soon as possible. And the entire idea was we need to see what's going to break in our environment. We need to see what this patch is going to ruin. And we're fully happy to ruin dev systems and test systems to make sure the production is okay when the automation goes off at the end of the month. So it was a, it was a much more interesting and much more proactive way to look at it. But this is the sort of thing where it's like, these drivers are signed. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? How do you, cause you, there's nothing, there's nothing that is going to get tripped that says this is bad. There's hey, nothing that's going to get tripped. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is it is it so bad at this point? Or we the, the one of the hot topics of the show is always Target getting hit, Home Depot getting hit, Wendy's getting hit. Is that going to stop you from getting a Dave's double tomorrow? Um, is that going to stop you from getting some spackle to do some work? Like, because I think I think nobody gave a shit. Um, Target, you know, you're going to get my wife out of out of Target because they had a breach. Um, is it is it gotten to the point where where this is another one of those where just you know. It's just one of those days and we'll, we'll, you know, fight tomorrow. I think, I think the difference is the types of things that are hit, right? 
Target gets hit, Home Depot gets hit, Wendy's gets hit. There is a, you know, your personally identified information may be out there. Your credit card information is out there. You get a new card, you move on, mm-hmm. right? You patch, you move on. In a supply chain attack like this, it's not the end user that sees it. It's the IT organizations that see it. It's the people who have to then figure out how do I maintain my operations with the knowledge that I have, right? Because Target, uh, uh, I'll pick on Target. I go to Target a lot. Shout out to Target. We appreciate you. Um, When Target got hacked, if I recall correctly, that was a breach of a point of point of sale network through the HVAC system network that should have been separated, but was not right. Those things get hit. That data is leaked, but the fix is relatively simple from an end user standpoint. No one knows these hacks from an end user standpoint, right? SolarWinds gets hacked. Nothing happens. Nothing actually happens to your end user. Nothing actually happens to the reputation of your business. And they don't know what a SolarWinds is. They don't know what a SolarWinds is. They have no idea what a SolarWinds is. They have no idea what a Microsoft supply chain attack is. They have no idea what that is or what that means. But your IT people are, are screaming internally. And so this is a really, really hard thing to do because you can't necessarily generate the level of concern from your business because there's nothing wrong to them. Your CEO, your CEO, your CFO, your front-facing retail people of whatever your business may do, they don't know and they don't care. But when you have credit card data getting leaked, when you have um, all of these sorts of when you have credit card data getting leaked, you have to do the PR, you have to do the PR train. You have to put out, I'm sorry, videos. You have to put out like free $5 gift cards. There is a financial impact to the business, but at least you can get that to blow over this. You have nothing. And it's, so this is, I think the, the more concerning part here is that this is a deep, deep problem, but there's not much you as an IT organization can do about it. Do people, like you can't magically like I can't tell you to patch. Did people at SolarWinds or at Kaseya did they get walked out when some of this happens, or is it just they look at it as the building caught on fire? It's really nobody's fault. You know, let's just patch it up and move on. Or what's I? I think that's definitely what happened. I like something gets breached. I'm sure. I think the SolarWind one was real dumb. The way that they got in was real dumb. Um, but. I think there was like a default password left somewhere. Um, but in, in terms of having these sorts of these sorts of attacks out there, I'm sure that there were some people at SolarWinds and Kaseya that got walked out. But also kind of chalk it up to state actors decided to do something. Yeah. And there's very little you're going to do when state actors get involved, right? Especially when we're talking about Russia, China, I'll even put the US and the NSA out there. When these people want to use these sorts of vulnerabilities, they will. They will find them, they will hold on to them, mm-hmm. and they will use them. Right. And there's that's why they're called zero day vulnerabilities because there's no notice and they are now used. Right. So the worst part about this is they're asking for what, like 70 million bucks. The dumbest quote in the article from Yahoo Finance I read was 
uh, a representative for the hacker said, we are ready to negotiate. And what we learned from the from the pipeline and the meatpacking place was they're going to cut checks, big ones, to move on. I think I want to take a step back and think about who's the spokesperson for ransomware. For, for the hackers. <laughs> That's who's the spokesperson for the hacker group? What did Yahoo get a quote from them? I, I, listen, I don't really want this, but I need like a first level connection on LinkedIn. That's all I'm saying. Right. I just want, I just want to know like who's running PR for the hacker group. Like, Oh yeah, here's, Oh, you got to listen, no comment over here. You got to direct it all through PR. Like what? Get out of here. So I think, I think the way that this, this sort of plays out is, this, by the way, a uh, quick stat there, 80 million, or not 80 million, 80% of businesses who pay ransoms get hacked again. Sure. Don't. You're on a list. <laughs> right. You're on the list. Like, <laughs> they're dumb. They probably won't patch by the next time. Timmy on the corner's again. front doors open all the time with steel his stereo. Like, you know. <laughs> we already left the door open again. Huh. Right. Steel his stereo again. Yeah, it's, I think that's the sort of thing where, we don't necessarily have a a great way to handle this. We don't necessarily have a a good way to protect against this. The ways that you protect against this are generally keep your things patched, don't use default passwords, monitor all your systems, log everything, and pounce on you know a funky looking traffic when you see it. Other than that. It's it's very very hard to protect against this. It's always good, by the way. Uh, ransomware is a disaster. Consider ransomware recovery as part of your disaster recovery plan. You will see it more often. You will see a hurricane. Mm -hmm. Promise. So this we is see, what we see lately. Not to what we're seeing lately is we can put in all the the zero the poor man's zero trust and replication and backups and. And all the good fancy stuff, but then Susie and HR clicks that email, um, yep. you know, and then it opens up this, you know, yeah, sure, we can see it and mitigate it immediately, but it's already there. It's in. It's done. Correct. And that's, this is where phishing training comes in. This is a use, by the way, this is a people process technology. PPT mm -hmm. is not only the file extension for PowerPoint. People, process, and technology, right? The technology part, that's the easy part. Always has been and always will be. I can always install another tool. I can always configure another system. I can always build things differently, whatever. But your processes on how you deal with things and training your people on how to see, notify, and understand what an attack looks like or what a malicious email looks like is a thing. The Anthem hack in 2015 where I believe it ended up being the uh, People's Liberation Army of China surprise, um, stole 80 million records from Anthem, basically stole their entire member database, um, which led to, I think it was like a $500 million settlement on the end of it. Um, don't worry, Anthem got it. And so that attack was a spear phishing attack on a database administrator. And they their practices were to not split accounts. So the account that they used for email was the same one they used for admin access. Them's not that, that's a problem. So mm -hmm. you compromise one account and you get access to other things. So there are good security best practices 
there are good things that you can do to train people. I believe there's a company called, I believe it's Wombat, uh, that will send phishing emails to your end users. You give them a big old list. Microsoft got a great tool as well. It's got really good lately. Um, We actually use that. We'll do it once a quarter with our clients. I only shout out Wombat because they're a local local, uh, company in Pittsburgh. I give them a little bit of love. But these are the sorts of things where you actually have to train your users. You have to train them and you have to put some teeth behind it. You can't just send them a thing and Bob clicks a link. And every time Bob clicks the link, we just go, Bob, you click the link again. Um, you have to put some teeth behind it. You have to say like, hey, you click the link once. We, we see you, right? Strike one. You click the link twice. Now you got to go to full day training. No one wants to go to full day training. You click the link three times. Now we're in trouble. Now we're now we got to go to HR because you are now a risk to the organization. I have right? many I have many clients AJ that A do not want to make their employees nervous, B um, do not want to reprimand anyone. I said you could do it privately and C they don't want them to miss anything that might be legitimate. And I'm like I said we got to pull back and we got to re we got to go back to step 1 on this because and this is a thought this is not just one client. This is many people that we talk to. Oh yeah. And we're like, you need to rethink your whole entire because this is your business. This is the, the, the company's on the line when, when you start uh, to talk like that. I will not name the company. Uh, I actually heard this story recently uh, where a business was uh, about to get purchased, got hit with ransomware, and they just said, yeah, we're done here. Shut the whole business down. <laughs> and they were not a small company generating just shy of a billion of revenue. And they just shut the whole thing down. They were like, and nope. They were get actually, I take that back. They were getting acquired. And the acquiring organization just built new systems for them. Just moved on. <laughs> built entirely new systems, migrated them in and said, yep, all this old stuff, you can just go ahead and delete that. Wow. So yeah, it's not, it's so not the, uncommon. You hear these stories no. all the time. Right. And that's the sort of thing where I mean, listen, I, I, I will toot our own horn as expedient uh, from a ransomware standpoint. Uh, we had a customer. Cheap plug. Hashtag cheap plug. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag the sponsor or whatever. Um, so uh, we as expedient, we, we have a number of things that we do as part of our DR as a service and data protection platform to protect customers. And one of them had to cash that in. And uh, we had uh, one of our support analysts on the phone for 16 hours helping to recover systems, but we got somebody back up and running from a ransomware attack in 48 hours. Um, They got hit. It was in their network for two months. And then one day, light switch went on and everything went off. Um, And yeah, so we got them back up and running in 48 hours. We've also had other customers who manage all their own stuff. It took them weeks to get back online, right? Yeah. The city of Atlanta got hit with a $51,000 ransom, took them, cost them $9 million to recover. These are not cheap things. Does your organization cover cyber insurance? Does your organization have cyber insurance, number one? Number two, does it cover a ransomware attack? Because guess what? Cyber insurance people are starting to catch on to the fact that they're paying out a lot of money. And I don't know if you guys know anything about the insurance industry, but the insurance industry is predicated on not paying out money. Or having to do that very, very, very few. Well, they're times. making them the the boxes they need to check now are longer, uh, or mm-hmm. there's more boxes they need to check than ever before. It used to be four or five compliance. Now there is a lot of you know 
and they're they're very smart too. Obviously, they're like, are you doing zero trust? Are you doing MFA? Are you doing right like all the all the Check, are you, you know, doing multi-factor authentication? Do you have offsite yep. backups? Do you have a disaster yep. recovery plan? What is your, you know, fryer, what is your firewall perimeter? Are you using micro segmentation? Are you yep. doing all of these things? And the it's just like your car insurance. Like, do you wear a seatbelt? Yes or no? No. Well, your premium is going to be way right. higher than mine because I'm wearing my seatbelt. Are right? you an alcoholic? Car, right? <laughs> are you an alcoholic? How old are you? Are you a I don't know, 19-year-old boy, your insurance premium is higher than uh, my 70-year-old mother-in-law's. Like, it, it's, they're different, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these things are starting to come into play where insurance and security practices are starting to get to the point now where it's more than just do you have antivirus. It's more than just do you have a firewall. There's a lot more people and processes and business processes that go around that. And I think that's actually a, a really interesting thing to watch over the next probably 18 months to two years um, and how that is all changing uh, because ransomware attacks are effectively weekly. A big, you know, I don't want to say name brand ransomware, but ransomware attacks big enough to make news is a effectively a weekly occurrence at this point. You have Kaseya, you have the Colonial mm-hmm. Pipeline, you have when you have I saw a couple over here, you have Audacity, you have Domino's, you have Wendy's, you have Home Depot, you have Tart like all of these organizations are getting either hacked or they're getting hit with ransomware attacks and they're making the news. And it may not even be things that end users even know about or care about, but it can affect them eventually. And so these are the sorts of things where this is an ever shifting thing and it needs ransomware needs to be considered as part of your disaster recovery and data protection plans. So uh, the ones that don't hit the news, my uh, one of my closest friends that I grew up with runs his father-in-law's HVAC supply company, 20 locations. The guys that have worked in there have been there for 50 years and they're all on green screens and they write stuff on paper and they got hit with ransomware and they had to basically revert back two days and then retransfer everything from paper Luckily, they're not technical enough where it did that much damage, but they got hit with ransomware. I don't even know if they have a website. I think they do. Um, it, it just and they've been around for a hundred years. I just thought about somebody doing a in real life ransomware attack where somebody just like breaks in and steals all the papers and is just standing outside with them saying, "Pay me money and I'll give you back your paper." Like cigarette lighter, like, stack of papers. <laughs> it's huh? huh? I'll do it. Like I just thought about just the concept of that. As soon as you said they do everything on paper, I was just like, what would a paper ransomware attack look like? All oh, right, it's just somebody breaking in and stealing them all. But like I, I, I there's yeah. people that still store tape. Yeah. I, and I wasn't I, like tape, like LTO tape. Mm-hmm. And they store them. I was changing L- I was still changing LTO tapes in 2011. Yeah. I was selling I mean, them in, and, 20, in 2006. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I we had a safe on-premise. So here's the thing. In order to, I'm not going to tell you exactly how to get to them, but it would have involved going through like a whole security gate and going there and opening a very heavy safe and knowing exactly where they were. But like we, it, those are the sorts of things where we have to expand the conversation around things like ransomware and around disaster recovery to start including that. What are you going to do? What is your plan the same way that you would plan for a disaster? And if your organization is has not been previously um, interested in, reco- in doing disaster recovery or they think that disaster recovery planning is an expensive thing, 
This may be the thing that gets their attention. I'll say this in talking to some people in the uh, oil and gas industry for years, their disaster recovery was just like, oh yeah, we have our same stuff over, over at the different data center, right? But then they watched the pipeline get popped. Now they're interested. Now they're much more interested in how to actually do disaster recovery. Their, their, their RTO was like, days or they had a or they had a boss that said i don't want to be on the news fix this (laughs) exactly and i think that's the other part is that if you're an it professional and you've been trying to make your disaster recovery better ask ask your boss or have them ask their boss or do you want to be the next person to end up on that new york times page that says local company x got hit with ransomware and is down for weeks you do not want to end up in the google news alert for that okay so how do you actually get to where you want to go and how do you leverage these sorts of things? Because it's a, can your business afford to be offline for weeks? Because it's not something where you just hit the button and recover quickly because right. you've already replicated the bad data. So I know, I know you came on originally to talk cloud and we haven't, we've talked about everything, but um, where does, where does, you know, I don't mean to bad segue this, but I mean, where does that come into play with all this? So this is the key thing that I think a lot of organizations, this, ready? Watch the segue. Watch the flip. Ready? Ready? This is professional. Bring it. Bring it. Most organizations never wanted to deal with disaster recovery because they never wanted to deal with a second site. They never wanted to deal with all the extra hardware. They never wanted to buy all of that because by and large, disaster recovery always require this big expensive payment that in the correct and best circumstances, you never end up using. Mm-hmm. which is where a cloud provider like Expedient comes in because we can be your second site where you don't have to go buy everything. We keep up with all the patching and keep all the lights on so your organization doesn't have to actually go do all of that. Right? It's a, this is the big, the big challenge that we see from a lot of customers is they look at disaster recovery and they're like, oh, man, we'd have to buy all that stuff. We got to license it all. We have to deal with maintaining all of that when the hardware comes up for replacement we got to replace it all or they end up doing uh what i like to call uh diy disaster recovery where they take the stuff that's in production today that's coming up on replacement and then they take that stuff and they take it to the dr site and that's their dr site that's uh that's how furniture in your basement that used to be in the living room then it rotates to the basement and that then when you get the new stuff that rotates out yeah yeah i'm i'm not looking at this couch right now okay (laughs) (laughs) But this is the sort of thing where it's the, you just like, you're doing, right, you're doing furniture rotation. We got a new couch upstairs Well, the old one goes down to the basement, right? So it's that sort of thing, but with IT. And the problem is, is that your business will expect everything to run as it did in production when you hit the DR button. And your gear that is four to six to potentially older in DR, like let's say you do a full four-year you know run with your hardware right? Then you replace that with new hardware. Then this goes into DR and then you run another four years. By the end of that, you might have eight-year-old hardware sitting in DR that might not support new versions of ESX or Windows Server or RHEL or Ubuntu or whatever it is that you're running. And so you start to run into support issues because you don't want to buy the correct gear or buy the correct capabilities for your disaster recovery platform because you hope to never have to use it, right? It's an insurance checkbox. But at this point, it needs to be more than an insurance checkbox. It needs to be the way that you bring your business back online. I think we've all seen through you know, COVID 2020 and all this other stuff that IT is the lifeblood of the business. 
nothing gets, this is the only way that anything works. This is the only way that we get to have these sorts of lovely podcasts and meetings and get to sit in our houses wearing hoodies on work calls. But right? some see it as a cost and a hindrance and some right. see it as a competitive advantage. Like that's one of the first questions I've always asked is how do you view IT? It, it, you is know. this a necessary evil or is this a necessary yeah. power? Sure. Right. It, and that sort of cape, that sort of viewpoint obviously plays into this, but I think you can leverage the not even so much necessary evil, but if your business is as heavily reliant on IT as most businesses are, you cannot afford to shut that down for weeks. You used to be able to do that, right? Oh, we'll just go back to paper, whatever. Please tell me you're going to go close that HVAC store, right? They had the HVAC supply. They had 20 locations, mm-hmm. right? Tell the owner of that company he's shutting down all 20 locations for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's not going to do it. That's effectively what shutting down IT is now. You are effectively shutting your doors for the entire time that you're offline. Your organization can't do anything. All the people that you pay money to run back office things, they can't do their job. So you're paying a bunch of people to sit around. No one likes doing that. Right. Well, so as you lean everything into from this, payroll to bill to uh, the entire HR, yeah, all of it. Entire organization is mm-hmm. sitting there. The entire organization is sitting there twiddling thumbs, mm-hmm. and no one wants that. So this is the way that you are able to make sure that your business remains online, that your business is able to maintain their operations, and make sure that you don't end up on the New York Times, you know, page to end up on the you know tech news end up on the it and the d podcast where we're talking about how it's a bad time for your organization you don't want to end up here you don't want bob and randy talking about you don't do that See, now, do you feel like i feel i always felt it was like a dirty life insurance quote like what would you do if you got hit by a bus today and your wife was left with you know i i think it's a it's a necessary conversation but i think it needs to be framed properly and i think too many people misframe it like that sleazy life insurance guy you have salespeople yes. that um, you know, do you, you know what's going to happen if you're down for, you know what I mean? There's ways to frame it and not right. sound like the, the life insurance guy. Right. The, the way to frame it is to not, uh, you're right. Is to not frame it like the life insurance guy, right? Where like, if you don't do this, your business is going to die. And it's right. like, no, 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 no. What we're saying is, and this is what we like to talk about from a disaster recovery standpoint is this is the necessary thing that you need to have in order for your IT to remain as resilient as possible, right? This is like, I do this, Bob, when was the last time you traveled or went anywhere that you were gone for more than a night from your house? This last month, a couple times. Okay, last month. All right, I'm going to tell you a little quick travel secret. Feel free in the comments to, to comment along if you agree with me. I always bring an extra pair of underwear. Never know what's going to happen, right? I always bring an extra, Wait, I always bring you- an extra shirt. In general? Yeah. Oh, I always bring an extra pair of oh. every time. Right? I pack like an extra an extra pair a day. Right. You bring an extra you bring an extra pair of underwear, you bring an extra shirt, you bring an extra pair of pants. There's always one extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You always bring that extra outfit. You always bring that. Why? Because who knows what's going to happen. Your flight might get delayed, your flight might get canceled. You you're at the lake, you fall in the lake, now you got wet clothes. No. But I got a little secret, Dad. I just cleaned out my Amazon addresses that I shipped to. There's about 12 hotels because <laughs> I right. packed something wrong, and I had to ship overnight to the where I was staying. And right. uh, anyway, so that's the sort of thing where it's to me, it's like the extra set of clothes in your travel bag, 
you bring them with you. You hope you never, ever have to use them, but you're real glad when you have them. Randy, and it's not put, in, that on, put that on Twitter, Randy. Uh, quote AJ, just put um, hmm? a, the extra pair of underwear. DR is the extra pair of underwear in your luggage. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> this is the sort of thing that I think most people, when they think about it, you're right. Everybody thinks of disaster recovery as what would you do if your business yeah, yeah. closed its totally. doors? And it's like, yeah, you want to hit people in the chest and make them feel like, oh, man, I really do need that. But when you actually consider what it is, it's like the extra set of clothes in your suitcase when you travel, right? You bring it with you. You hope you never have to use it. When you get home, you hope to just go right back in the drawer. Yeah. But when you have it, you're very happy that it's there. And I think that's the way to think about this and just think about like, instead of thinking about it like, oh, I hope I never have to use this. I probably will never have to use this. Just think that there's somebody waiting with a bucket of water that they want to throw at you. You don't know when it's coming, but you're going to get real wet at some point. Right? Do you want to be able to change your clothes very quickly? Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. And so that's the sort of thing that you, when I look at this, it's a, it's, it's, it's a necessity that you need to have. And with an MSP or a cloud provider like Expedient, we can make it really easy to do that versus all of the uplift and CapEx to actually make a DR site yourself. Sure. So what is, uh, what's, what are the hot topics of conversation that you're dealing with every day? I know like, you know, we have a hundred customers dealing with a hundred different issues. What, what are you, what, what's on the street? What are you hearing every day? Um, we're hearing a lot of people who want to go do cloud, but don't know how where everybody has now reached that like critical mass, especially in the, I'd say commercial space. Now you're talking where, work, getting workloads in cloud that just don't know or don't know what to put right. in the cloud, but they know they need to leverage it. They keep here. They've heard this cloud thing for a while and they thought it was only for the cool new kids. And now they're hearing that it's not just for the cool new kids. They're hearing that it's for them too. But then they go, okay, well, we want to go out to the cloud, but we don't have the experience to do it. And all of the stories that we've heard about people trying, like us, trying to go to the cloud, they run into issues. They tried to move something out there and it didn't work and it cost them a bunch of money and they just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to deal with it. And so what we've done as Expedient is we are a cloud provider. We are a, we are a VMware powered cloud provider. So if you have a workload that runs today in VMware in your environment, you can land it on our platform. There's no refactoring and you get to move from the CapEx model to the OpEx model. But what we're seeing is there's a lot of people who aren't interested in just our cloud. They like our cloud, but they also say, hey, there's this really cool service up in Amazon. I want to go use Lambda. I want to go use SageMaker. I want to do all of these additional cool things, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get there, right? How do I, what is a VPC? How do I stand up identity? How do I make sure that like I don't log in and put my API key somewhere and then somebody takes my Amazon, my Amazon account for a ride? Right? How do I do all those things? And so we are in, we've been building multi cloud tools. How do you manage our things, but also manage AWS, Azure, GCP, and manage all of that together? Because we see a lot of times organizations don't know what to do. And they think that if they go, if they're going to go to the cloud, and I'm using air quotes, not even scare quotes, just air quotes, that they're going to go to, Amazon and they're going to put their workloads up there and everything's going to be fine, but they have never ever considered what it actually costs to run any of the workloads. 
because they buy a host. They put it in their data center. They run that for four years. They know that it costs them, I'm just going to spitball a number here, $15,000 for the server. It costs them $7,000 for the license. They own that license forever. They replace that hardware once every four years. So let's just be generous here and say that $15,000 divided by four, that's $3,500 a year, $3,750 a year for that host, right? But that's just the host. What is the cost per VM to run on that host? What is the actual cost model for any of those things? And no one's ever figured that out. Then they go out to the cloud and they find out, oh, that meter's running like all the time. And my applications are not built to run all the time. Or my applications are built to run all the time. My wallet is not. So we need to figure out a better way to do this. And so I think that's where we can come in to help them say, hey, here's this really great cloud for your steady state workloads, your things that you've been running, your mission critical apps that you've been running today, right? And then when you want to go build those next generation applications, those variable workloads, you want to take advantage of those services, here's a way to connect to all of those clouds. And then here's a set of tools to manage and protect them. And so we've been spending a lot of time talking with customers around how to best do multi-cloud, how to best handle the cloud. And we've built a ton of assessment tools and cost optimization tools on how to do that. Uh, and you can see all of that on our website. But it's a... It's a Expedient.com slash multi-cloud. Go there, check that out. Um, that has a whole lot of stuff around what we do with, with multi-cloud and, and how we actually do a lot of the things that we do and what we're working on. Um, it's, it's a very interesting time because we see a lot of people in the MSP space going one of two directions. They're either saying, hi, we're a colo provider or we are a you know MSP that is handling much more of the I guess I would call it on-site IT, right? Laptops, phones, mm -hmm. desktops, patching, all that sort of stuff, right? Almost like, almost like an out. I don't want to say outsourcing, but you know, your you know, extended IT support. Mm -hmm. Or they're trying to go in the opposite direction, and they're trying to dive all the way in on Amazon or Azure or GCP, and they want to be managed AWS or managed GCP or managed Azure. And then you pay them and they are your way to get to the cloud. And in our opinion, that is a semi-messy way to do it. Um, the, you introduce a, uh, a middleman who is uh, marking up costs on the actual you know, costs of running through a cloud. They become your broker. Uh, they own your accounts. You are now... In, again, this comes back to the whole level of trust. How are they handling identity? How are they handling? How are they handling connectivity? How are they handling compliance? How are they handling security? And so we see that as not necessarily the great way to do that. We also look at this as a uh, the opportunity for customers to take on cloud because we see that there's a lot of people who want to do things like I want to go learn Azure. I want to go learn Azure or AWS. But when they try to go do that, they uh, forget that they have to keep all the lights on, that they have to still patch and maintain all their things. So they have, they're spending 40 hours working on their environments and they don't ever, they don't have the additional or even longer than 40 hours. They don't have the time to actually sit down and go learn those things and they end up making mistakes. So this is a way for them to move their workloads that don't necessarily uh, provide any career advancement and be able to give them an opportunity to actually study up and learn and take advantage of those things properly without having to go learn everything out of the gate with production. So 
we spent a lot of time talking about cloud. We spent a lot of time talking about DR as a service and ransomware. Those are actually two big things that we talk about a lot. Um, and, and trying to help customers move forward and try to help them make the best decisions possible for their organizations. It's awesome. Honestly, we could probably sit here and talk to you for three days about everything and anything. You should probably have your own podcast. Um, People have asked. It's a lot of work. I, you guys know this is a lot of work. You have Randy back here doing all of this. Uh-huh. He's tweeting. He's he's working on the audio. He's probably going to take all this audio, chop it up, make it sound real nice. Um, so yes, yeah, so a podcast is a lot of work. I could do this, but right. So it's it's very very hard uh, to do a podcast. It's not for everybody. Bob, Randy, you guys make this easy. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time spent. Uh, we're gonna we'll give you uh, uh, your LinkedIn uh, uh, link on show notes. Um, AJ yes. Expedient dot com. Uh, since I can't thank you enough for your time, seriously. Um, you know, if you were in Metro Detroit, we'd probably go have beers once a week if it was up to you. Um, I think I think I'll be in Detroit. I might be in Detroit at the end of the month. Okay, so we might need to. We might need to. You guys might need to come out. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in. I'm in. You let me know where I'll be there. We actually have a studio in the Detroit Shipco. Um, if you ever want to check that, okay. it's great. It's a great place. Um, beer garden, food court, like you know. I mean, how bad could it be? I know, right? Good Thai <laughs> food, you know, great Thai food. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. But yeah, AJ, seriously, can't thank you enough. Uh, wish you the best. Expedient.com. Um, we're gonna wrap things up for episode four hundred two. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor: drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't gotta go home. You just gotta get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. <laughs>